us uh, turn our attention now to the word of the Lord, which comes from Ephesians chapter 2. We are racing through Ephesians, one verse at a time, although tonight we're going to do two verses. My head is spitting. Ephesians chapter 2, let me remind you of the context by reading from verse 8 but we will concentrate upon verses 11 and 12. Hear the word of the Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let us pray. O Lord, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer, for you have redeemed our lives from the pit. And you, O Lord, are worthy of all praise. You have gathered us here tonight. We pray that you will bless us with your presence and insight and strengthening in the Lord in our most holy faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Paul does something here which frankly, I find surprising because he asks us to do something that elsewhere he says he doesn't do. And so he's asking us to do something and there must be a reason for it. So in, a, in Philippians chapter 3, you have a really long section here which is a lot of important and helpful stuff for our context in Ephesians, but in particular he says this, this is a, a Philippians chapter 3 verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You know, he is, he's thought about all of his background, all of his uh, qualifications, all the things he could look at, and he just counts them as nothing. And he says, I, I basically forget about all of that. Uh, that lies behind me, and I look forward and strain forward to what lies ahead, the resurrection to everlasting life. So it's interesting that he says he forgets about what lies behind, and then he tells us to remember what lies behind of us. Uh, quite interesting in verse 11, but there's a reason for it. Uh, there's a very good reason for this. In fact, uh, in the context and when you read Ephesians, this is really quite clear and important for us who are particularly Gentiles, uh, although I think this would qualify for Jewish people as well. So notice what he says, therefore remember in verse 11. And interestingly, he then qualifies who we are who are to remember this. And he says things about us, particularly this business of circumcision. Uh, but 
the thing that you are to remember is actually given in verse 12. And there are five things. So remember that you were at one time Gentiles. Then in verse 11, because of that, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, etc., which we will get into. So he wants you to, re- to look back at that and remember this is where you came from. Now, brothers and sisters, he doesn't want you to concentrate that on that as if you were looking at your life and saying, well, you know, such a miserable sinner. It's not like Paul is saying, well, yeah, you miserable people, you really should keep in mind how miserable you are and, you know, have that as prominent in your thinking about yourself. Um, this is not what he's doing. He doesn't, he, he's not doing that for that reason. <coughs> it's, it's not because of that. It's so that he can direct our attention to the fact that we offer the Lord nothing. We came from nowhere. And he has taken us out of that and included us in his grand plan of the ages. And we Gentiles in particular, if you think about where your ancestors were if you were a Gentile, like me, if I think about where my ancestors were at the time of Christ, it's a very dismal thought, frankly. Uh, Just at the very least, you just say pagan, the worst sorts of pagans. And many of you might have that same background. Uh, That being the case, he, Paul is telling us to remember that only for the sake of knowing, look at where you are now. This is a work of God. That's what he wants us to be convinced of. We have come into the fellowship of eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is his plan all along. That's what he's been telling us in Ephesians up so far, right? This is God's predetermined plan, the one who directs all things after the counsel of his own will. He had this plan for you Gentiles all along, and now in Christ Jesus, he's executed it. This is not some... uh, ad hoc, stray thing, random event in the universe. This was God's plan all along to bring you into life eternal. Remember, you didn't, you didn't originate this, but you now are beneficiaries of it so that you will recall it's all of God. This is how it falls out of that, uh, right out of the context. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This isn't your own doing. It's a gift from God. And you see, this is, this is why he wants to remember, us to remember where we came from, to, to magnify the Lord and his great dealings with us so that we now realize what privilege we have in Christ Jesus and that you are assured of this. You didn't make this up. You're not deceiving yourself. You aren't, you aren't somehow the master of your own fate in this regard. This is... This is God's doing, and he has opened the way for you. You can be assured that the way in his holy presence has been opened up by him for you. You have all these gifts from the Lord. It's his doing, so that you would know and never doubt 
that your faith is somehow your own doing, your own imagination getting away with, with you. This is, this is the Lord's doing. And he has worked in your life to bring you these great benefits. And he has determined that you will be his. That's why he wants us to look back. So that we know that they are, these all, things are all from God. And notice how in light of this, no background we bring to the Lord is of any value. Notice, notice what he says here. Remember at that time you Gentiles separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, no hope and without God. Every one of them. It doesn't matter how well educated they were. It doesn't matter what sort of plaques to have on the walls of their study. It doesn't matter whether they're well-born or not. It doesn't matter their attainments, their occupation, their life status, their socio-political uh, standing. None of that stuff matters. No status is what brought these people into fellowship with the Lord. He didn't look on them and say, oh yeah, well, this, hmm, wow. I sure want one of, I want him in my company. This, you know, it's, it's not like picking a, base, a basketball team. Oh yeah, he's really tall and he's a good player. I want, I want him on my team. This is not what the Lord did. He didn't look at us and say, oh yeah, I really want this, this gal on my team. Instead, he wanted to bless us. He wanted to lavish his goodness upon us. We've, we've heard these terms before in Ephesians. This is what he's been telling us in Ephesians. And here we have it again. And you know, what's interesting is who's saying this. This is Paul. He, he was so well educated and so articulate that a king told him, I think you're crazy. I think all your learning has made you crazy. <laughs> I find that interesting. <laughs> if you go to school too long, you can be crazy. Uh, so be careful if you're you know, college graduates. Don't go any further into graduate school. I mean, you never know. <laughs> no, I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's like what happened is the king really had no categories to explain how powerful this guy was. Uh, all I can say is this guy's crazy. He, he's just saying things that are so powerful. Uh, well, you know, Paul didn't do that because of his background, his training. He was very well trained. He, I, I personally think he had most of the Old Testament memorized, not unusual, by the way, in Hebrew, uh, for uh, uh, Torah students back then. Uh, certainly all the Psalms. There are modern rabbis who have all the Psalms memorized. I one of my uh, friends talks about that. He knows people who have a Hebrew, large parts of the Hebrew Bible memorized. Uh, this is very clear. I personally, in uh, my study of Paul, uh, I think he was, uh, his family was quite prominent uh, in his area and they were well off. Uh, and Paul had quite a high standing. And he says, I consider this all skubala which is not a word translated very well in our, it's refuse is sometimes translated that way. It's all the donkey poop alongside the road. It's manure or dung. You think about all the traffic of animals on the road in Paul's day, 
That's what he's talking about. That's actually the word for that. All this refuse, all this junk alongside the road uh, in his day. That's what he counts it as. It's, it's nothing. It's like a dung heap, a manure pile. It really has no interest in, to him. All these things of his former life, and notice in the context of Philippians 3 when he says that, for the surpassing gain of knowing Christ, of being laid hold of by Christ, uh, and having him as my hope now. This is, everything else really is of no value in comparison with that. And it's, it's because Christ has laid hold of him that Paul can say this. In, in Paul's case, it was really rather overt, wasn't it, on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts, recounted three times. Uh, and it was really a very dramatic turn for Paul. But in that light, uh, it is an example for us of how, Paul, how uh, God turns all of us, really, to himself. It doesn't have to be that kind of spectacular thing but it still is the working of God in our lives to give us hope. And those of you who've grown up in the church and always known Christ, he's been working secretly in your lives. You don't have to have this dramatic conversion. He has already been secretly illumining your life like he did with Paul with that light on the road. Interesting, in our text, it opens with, Therefore, you at one time were Gentiles in the flesh. So that's the beginning in verse 11. And our passage actually goes to verse 22. And notice where it ends. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You were in the flesh, but now you are in the Spirit. See, this is really where he wants to take us. Okay, recall that. But now I want you to see and focus on where you are in Christ. So that's where he's going to take us. And where you are in Christ is being built as a living stone for a temple for God's dwelling in your midst. You are part of this worldwide building that God is making uh, there at Ephesus and here in Corvallis. So these are things that uh, Paul is focusing on in our passage, and he's leading up to that, to that great end of chapter 2, which we will get to in good time. In verse 11, I would like to point out to you how interesting it is that the sacrament of circumcision was what defined people. And he says the so-called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. This is just Paul... Uh, really picking up Old Testament teaching that circumcision had to be of the heart. This is not new. That's the Old Testament itself repeatedly saying that and indeed saying that God would circumcise our hearts. Uh, so there has to be a circumcision of the heart uh, to uh, have people respond properly to God in faith. So circumcision is of great value, but if, there's, if it's only in the flesh and not in the spirit, then it's of no value. And that's really what he's saying in verse 11. Uh, but it is interesting that he's, he focused there on the entrance uh, sacrament. We would say the same thing about baptism. 
Uh, if it's only a baptism with water externally, then it's of no value. But it's a spiritual act through the Spirit, and it is, has to uh, permeate into your heart and be a washing of your heart uh, so that you now come out a new person, one who is uh, born again uh, through God. And so circumcision and baptism both are a sign of being born anew. Uh, so this is, this is uh, the Old Testament form of referring to people. And Paul here now in verse 11 says, I want you to recall you Gentiles. And by, by simple fact of being Gentiles and not Israelites, they were separated from five things here. So there are five issues here. Look at verse 12. We'll count them. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, number one. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, number two. Strangers to the covenants of promise, three. Having no hope, four. And without God in the world. So those are the five things that being Gentile meant for them. Uh, and he says, I want you to remember that. Now, I'm going to talk about those in really three things. I'm going to combine those into three things. It's either all actually interrelated. Uh, and the first thing is I want to talk about this a commonwealth of Israel, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Paul is going to do this again in verse 19. But here what he's doing, interestingly, is he's talking to Ephesians. These are people from the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor, uh, at a real city at the time. Uh, modern-day Turkey. Uh, you can visit it today. Uh, it's an archaeological site, and there are tours of all the buildings they've uncovered. Some of them are pretty fabulous. Uh, and uh, it's a city that was very prominent at the time. And part of what you have to realize is he's using language of their day, because he lived among them for a time, uh, that relates to them. They can understand. This is actually the term, this term commonwealth, can also be rendered citizenship. You were alienated from the citizenship of Israel, which, by the way, is not an Old Testament term. You don't have terms of citizenry and citizen and citizenship in the Old Testament. They just did not use that term. This is a Greek terminology from the time of when Paul is writing, and he's adapting that to understand the Old Testament reality. Uh, and this, is, this becomes plain when you uh, actually think about how uh, uh, people are addressed. Interestingly, normally when you address people in a letter like this, you don't refer to the city, but you refer to the citizens. So you refer to the city of the Ephesians. So it's the city where they dwell, but what really makes that place Ephesian is not the city, it's the citizens who are there. So this is, this is part of what Paul is doing. He knows that language. By the way, this is language that was inscribed on their buildings. Uh, we have some over 4,000 of these writings inscribed on their buildings from the stone that has been recovered from Ephesus, uh, and you can study those. So this was actually part of my study for my doctorate, was that, studying those stones and, and the writings on them. This is very common. 
So you can actually, so I've actually read the writings of stones that Paul saw when he was at Ephesus and the kinds of things that he may be referring to like this, the citizen body. And you, he says, you may have been Ephesian citizens, but you were alienated from citizenship in Israel. And because of that, you were separated from Christ. Notice, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel. Now, because of that, there's a direct outcome of that. And that is, they were alienated from the covenants of promise. Now we get into stuff that's quite Old Testament, don't we? Once we start talking about covenants, we're talking about the, the stuff of the Old Testament. The, the thing that unifies the Old Testament is the covenants. And interestingly, Paul coins a term here. He says, covenants of promise. What he's doing is using that term of promise to qualify all those Old Testament covenants, the original covenant with Adam, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with uh, Abraham, the covenant through Moses, uh, the Davidic covenant. These are all covenants with a promise feature to them. They are characterized by looking ahead to fulfillment in Christ. That's what he's saying. So he calls them covenants of promise. This is why in Reformed theology, we talk about the covenant of grace. This is actually the warrant for that. If Paul can coin a term, covenants of promise, we are just doing the same thing and calling the covenant of grace unifying the scripture as having a feature of being uh, gracious. That's his main character, like promise is as well. So we're always looking for a biblical warrant for the way we do theology, and that's, this is actually a big verse for that warrant. Now let me tell you about what it was to be a member of the Israelites. This is what he tells us in Romans 9, verses 4 and 5. They were Israelites, and to them belonged the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So being a, having this uh, circumcision and identifying as a, an Israelite and having membership in this citizenry of Israel gave them certain advantages in the same way that today being a member of the church gives you certain advantages. It gives you certain rights that you uh, are due by being a member here in our church. These are things that are important to us. And here, notice the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law. Let me give you one example. Let me give you two examples from tonight of membership in our church and belonging to our church. It doesn't matter how old you are, you can request a hymn for us as the congregation of the Lord to sing to the Lord. You are, you are helping shape the worship service of the people of God when you request a hymn. 
And it doesn't matter how old you are, because you have a right to do that. Furthermore, you have a right in our prayer meeting to speak to the Lord. You are invited by the Lord himself as, a, as one of his children to pray in the presence of the people of God. You know that the people of God are there giving their amen to what you're saying. The, you are leading us in prayer, as it were. It doesn't matter who you are. This is part of your right as a member of the church of God. Likewise here, this was the right of Israelites. They had access to God through the temple, and they, had, they could come boldly into the temple uh, with this right of being citizens. And if you were a Gentile, you couldn't go into the temple. There is actually a plaque outside the temple saying, if you cross this line, you have only yourself to thank for your death. Uh, it's a very interesting plaque. Uh, and brothers and sisters, we were strangers from this as Gentiles. See, this is what he wants us to remember. You had no claim on that. You had no claim on Christ. But now God has opened up the way. He has given you his Messiah. You didn't have that as your background. You didn't grow up in that. This is not yours by any sort of heritage. But God has given it to you. This is, this is Now you have this way opened up. And you are no longer separated from Christ. You are no longer without God and no hope in the world. Now, brothers and sisters, I think that's very interesting that he says you were at that time without God in the world. <laughs> to, the, to the Ephesians. I mean, this is, this is actually kind of funny. Uh, the word without God here is the same word for atheists. You were atheists in the world. <laughs> Which is kind of funny, because Paul has walked through their town many times. He lived there for a time. And he saw all the altars and all the little temples and all the shrines and all the plaques in honor of Aphrodite, Apollo, Artemis of the Ephesians, of course, Asclepius, the god of healing, Athena, Dionysius, Pluto, the god of wealth, oh, Poseidon, Zeus, with various names after him, including Zeus Soter, Zeus the Savior, Demeter, Carpophorus, she's the Demeter, the uh, mother goddess who brings fruitful uh, a bounty from crops. Uh, and then this, there's also an uh, altar to God Most High. So, Theos Hupsistas, God Most High, which is very interesting because that's the name that Melchizedek uses to bless Abraham. Blessed be God Most High, who gave Abraham this, this victory. And then Abraham responds by saying, I have sworn by God most high. He uses that same name of God. So maybe this was under influence of Jewish people. There was actually a fairly good-sized Jewish community at Ephesus at that time. So God most high. And the nice thing about the Ephesians is they were not at all exclusive. So you have an Egyptian God? Sure, bring them in. Egyptian Isis, Serapion, Anubis, you may have seen statues of Anubis recently. The dog-headed god, he's the dog. Uh, Phrygian meter, Mater, the mother goddess. Uh, and then if you didn't, this is the thing about paganism. Maybe you forgot somebody who could help you. 
So you put up an altar, which they had at Ephesus, to all the gods and goddesses. In case I missed any, I'm just going to say, here's, here's an altar to everybody. So don't feel left out. All the gods and goddesses are now, I'm going to give this uh, uh, a gift to on my altar. So it's kind of funny to call these Ephesians, they didn't have any gods. They had lots of gods. They had gods on every street. They had all sorts of gods. But they didn't have the living God. These people were without God in the world. Brothers and sisters, paganism is simply imagination. Paul asks us to look back on that and say, we didn't start this whole thing. We didn't come up with a worship and a God who would meet all of our needs and create an altar uh, and a worship that would satisfy this God. We didn't create this God. And we didn't carve out a way to eternal life through this God. He's not a God of our own imagination. We didn't make God of stone or silver or gold. And this is why Paul does this. He wants us to look back and to say, we didn't come up with this. It is God's saving grace. He has opened up the way so that we no longer, brothers and sisters, you who trust in the Lord, your, your name is no, no longer atheoi, is no longer atheist without God in the world. Your name is actually now Christophori. You are Christ bearers. You are the people who are known after the name of Christ. This actually is found in the book of Acts when they were first called Christianoi. They were those who are identified with Christ. And you now are owned by the Lord. He names you as his children. He puts his name upon you that you would no longer be without God in the world, but you are his and he is yours in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul wants you to think about, about and reflect upon. You belong to the Lord and he belongs to you. Let us pray. Here are the great promises, O Lord, that you would open up a new covenant, one where those who are outside, those who were once called not my people, would now be called my people. I will establish a new covenant, not like the covenant I made previously, for they didn't continue in my covenant, but now I will make a new covenant, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Who can even think these grand thoughts, O Lord? We read them with great uh, pleasure, with great awe, with great praise. You are our God. Thank you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.